good morning again. Happy Easter. Again, I, I can never say it enough. I know we've said it several times this morning, but um, it is a good Easter. This is the happy day that we just sang. Um, hopefully, you enjoyed some raucous music this morning. Uh, I love singing hymns. I was singing all the Easter hymns this week, um, but I love singing songs that get my feet moving, uh, and so hopefully you enjoyed that. Um, I could feel the presence of God in the room. Um, can I just say welcome? It's good to see some of your faces I haven't seen in a while or some new faces I've never seen in this room before, and so welcome. Uh, it's good to have you. If you um, are interested in getting some more information from us, in front of the pews in front of you, there is a place where you could fill out information. Um, if you are like me where I visited churches and I already have a home church, I'm like, please don't contact me. Then you don't have to fill those things out. Um, but if you want uh, to be contacted, fill out one of those cards, and in the very back there's a white pillar, and you can just throw that in the pillar in the slot up there. If you have a prayer request, if you have anything that you would love for us as a church to be praying over, grab one of those cards, fill it out. We'd love to be praying over you as well. Um, just want to make sure those are available to you and you understand that. Um, but it is great to have you guys. I'm just so thankful uh, for the privilege and the honor to preach on Easter morning. Um, this, like I said, is the highest of holy days. And this is, to me, the highest honor is to preach God's word. And so I, as I was praying for this morning's message, um, I was thinking again, I haven't said it in a while, but I remember the first couple of years I was a pastor here, I probably said it every Sunday morning. Um, but I feel again this morning a little bit like the little boy bringing his lunch to Jesus and saying, I don't know how this is going to feed all these people, but Lord, you know. And you can multiply it. And so I am humbly, even though I know this is a great honor and I've spent time preparing, I feel like a little bit like this is just a small little meal that I've been chewing on. But I am believing that Jesus can multiply what I've brought and each one of us can leave here well fed. Amen. So would you pray with me, not just for me, I'm going to pray for each one of us because I'm going to let you in on this prayer. I'm going to pray that it's not just up to me to feed you, that the onus is on each one of us. That we came here to get something. And if you are here, I fully believe if you are hungry, Jesus will feed you. But if you're not hungry, then it's not my fault for not preaching good, all right? So I'm going to pray that we all get hungry this morning, amen? So would you join me? I know we've prayed already a lot. I'll promise to make it short. But let's pray a blessing over God's word this morning that we're hungry for it. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that your word is living and it's active and that it's a joy to read it and allow it to read us. And so Holy Spirit, we ask, would you pierce our hearts. Would you open up our ears to understand what you are saying to us? We choose to be hungry. We choose to give you our attention and to find what you are saying to us today. We want to leave here transformed. Would you renew our mind by your word this morning? We ask you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, so we, I don't have slides for you this morning. Uh, I thought about having this all nice. I was planning and preparing. I said, you know what? We're not going to do it. I'm going to make you get your fingers dirty. If you brought a Bible, you can open it up. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. If you don't want one of those, you can open up your phone, and most of us have Bible apps on our phone. But we're going to read part of the Easter story. Today is Easter, and we're going to look at all four Gospels have it. We're not going to look at all four Gospels. We're going to look at Luke. So I'll turn there. Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 1. And we're going to read a few verses and just read what happened on that very first Resurrection Sunday. So Luke 24, verse 1. I'm reading New King James. The Bible's in front of you, New King James. Whatever you got in your app, that's fine too. That works. I think I have some slides behind me that'll help if you want to read along in my translation. So Luke chapter 24, verse 1 says this. Now on the first day of the week, Sunday, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. 
And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, and this is in red letters from my Bible, this is what Jesus said to them, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. We'll stop there. We'll read some more, but we're stopping there for now. So as I said, this is getting the context. This is early Sunday morning, Easter morning, uh, earlier than we are here right now. We like to sleep in a little bit, but this is when the sun just rose. Uh, some of you I heard went to a sunrise service, and I heard it was beautiful up on the hills. So great. I'm glad you are able to do that. Um, I was still in my bed when the sun was uh, not coming up yet. Um, so I enjoy that we get to have a little bit later. But this is what happened in this story. The women went when the sun was just about to rise. They got to the tomb, and I love that in some ways these women had to have some faith. Because it says that the stone was already in place. And I don't know about you, but I don't know if these three women were physically strong enough to roll this big stone away. But they came prepared with spices to put on Jesus' body. So they said, you know what? Let's just go there and let's see what happens. Maybe an angel will roll the tomb back for us, the stone back for us. Maybe the Roman guards will have pity on us and they'll help us. Um, but they went prepared and expecting a miracle. I love that. That's what I pray that we come every morning. We wake up in the morning, and when the sun rises, we're like, you know what? I'm going to prepare this morning, spending some time with God, and I'm expecting a miracle. I'm expecting God to do something miraculous. I love those words. The angels showed up, right? And the tomb was open. That stone was rolled away, and they spoke to him. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Such a great question, right? And so there's sometimes that we've got to be asked those same questions. We're going to look at that this morning. Sometimes we have questions for God, but often he has questions for us if we're listening. And he's asking, why are you looking for living things among the dead? Getting a little deep, we won't spend a long time on this. But sometimes I'm guilty of trying to find life here on earth for pleasures of this world to satisfy me, to actually bring a rich experience. But God's word is saying, why are you looking for satisfaction in a rich life with things this world has to offer? Everything this world has to offer is going to die, is temporary. True life is only found. Where are you looking for it? Look for Jesus. He is the author of life. And so I love that. This is, I don't want to re-preach all these things, but it's saying that. Then the angels quoted Jesus. They're quoting Jesus in verse 7. Don't you remember what Jesus said to you back in Galilee before you got to Jerusalem? He said these things to you, right? So verse 7, I'm reading again verse 7. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. This is the gospel message. Jesus was telling his disciples from the beginning. This is what has to happen. That the son of God has to become a human and be turned over into sinful hands of humans. And sinful humans have to crucify the son of God. And then he has to rise again in three days. The gospel message is actually laid out before he did it. It's recorded there that Jesus told them multiple times. And yet, they were perplexed, it says. They were confused. They didn't understand. I don't know about you, but this has happened to me lots of times in my life. I read God's word, and he's telling me plainly how things are going to be. And then I go experience life, and I get confused. God, where are you? I don't feel you. I don't see you. I don't feel your goodness right now. Where are you? And I question God's goodness. I think we've all done it. We get confused when actually God lays things out clear for us in his word. 
But I love again that it points it out that God is this just God. He's not just a kind and gracious God that just forgives. He is that. But he doesn't forgive our sins just because he's gracious and kind and merciful. He forgives our sins because he is a just God who judges sin. He says the wages or the penalty or the consequence of sin is death. Death has to be the consequence of every sin that you and I have committed. And God's word makes it clear. For all have sinned, right, and fallen short of the glory of God. Each one of us are sinners. That's who we are. We were sinners, saved by grace. But it's by Jesus paying the price. It's not because he's just so kind and nice. It's actually because God is a just God, and Jesus paid the penalty that we deserved. This is the gospel, that Jesus, the Son of God, had to become a son of man, so that we, sons of men, could become sons of God. There is no other way. There's no other way that you and I can become a child of God unless the Son of God became a son of man and died in our place. This is the gospel. Just preach the whole Easter message right now, but there's more. Go wait, there's more. I feel like an infomercial, but wait, there's more, right? You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip Instead of reading all these verses, Luke 24 is pretty much the, the, the Easter message. But I'm going to skip the road to Emmaus and all these other things. I'm going to get to the good stuff. Just get cut to the chase. Jesus shows up to the women first. He shows up to these two on the road to Emmaus. You can read the story later. But then he finally shows up to his disciples, the 12, or actually the 11, right? Because Judas is no longer there. But in verse 36, maybe turn there in your Bibles. Ah, 38. I'll even skip some more. Verse 38. Jesus finally shows up to his disciples and the first words out of his mouth, right? Jesus said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? I I don't know about you, but when when I think about Jesus, I think about him being so loving and kind that all the little children wanted to be around him and he's just so nice and cuddly and man, he loves the little children and that's so true. But when I read this about the Easter, the very first thing out of Jesus' mouth to his disciples, I believe in that many of you are already followers of Jesus. And if you think about it, the first words out of Jesus' mouth on Resurrection Sunday is, what's wrong with you guys? Why are you troubled? Why are you afraid? That's his first words. It's not, oh, I feel so bad for you. I know you just watched the torture of my body on the cross and you're confused. Let me help and comfort you. Actually, he's kind of rebuking them. He's correcting them. He's challenging them. I don't know about you, but sometimes I want the grace and kindness of God, but I don't always want the correction of God. But God's word makes it clear. He disciplines those whom he loves i want all that god has for me i don't want a lopsided relationship with jesus i want a full relationship with jesus and so in that i want jesus to talk to me like he does his disciples on this easter morning and i was preparing this message i was starting like god are you sure this is where you want to go like this isn't a very bubbly happy you know raucous victorious message this is kind of like a correcting message like easter sunday morning all right. So I kind of went with it for a while. I was like, yeah, this is God. He's breathing on it. So at some point, if this seems maybe a little harsh, 
it's not 100% my fault. I'm distancing myself. This is just God's word. I'm just reading to you. What was the very first thing Jesus said to his followers on Easter Sunday morning? What's he saying to us this Easter Sunday morning is, why are you troubled? Why are you, what's wrong with you? So let me give you that word troubled. In the Greek, it's terasso. Uh, let me find it. Terasso. And it means this, to agitate back and forth, to shake, to stir up, to upset, to set in motion what needs to remain still. Whew. Commonly in the Bible, this is not used for something physically shaken, but it's an emotional agitation causing inner perplexity, getting stirred up on the inside or getting upset. The word most commonly translated in all the English translation is the word troubled. But thinking about that, agitated, right? Things that are agitated, I think right away of a wash machine, at least the old wash machines, where it just like that big center thing just kind of moved the water back and forth. It agitated things. It moved things around. And I think of a wash machine, that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to move things around. That's how it cleans the clothes. But according to this definition of this Greek word, it's saying things that are supposed to be still and not moved that are being moved. So Jesus is asking, why are you agitated? Why are you moving around and troubled and upset when you shouldn't be? Why are you shaken when the whole world is shaking? Scripture, I could read it. It says that God will shake everything that can be shaken. I don't know about you, but I, I think we're getting closer to the end times than we ever have been before, right? We look at the world, there's rumors of wars, there's all kinds of things going on. We're like, mark of the beast, we see how that could actually happen someday. And all these things are happening, right? Things are being shaken. But Jesus is saying, why are you shaken? Why are you troubled? Uh, in this world, you're going to have troubles. Jesus said that to his disciples repeatedly. If the world hated me, Guess what? They're not going to like you. He said it over and over again. In this world, you will encounter various trials and difficulties. You will experience trouble. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. It's one of these truths where he doesn't promise. Jesus never promises his disciples, you and I, his followers. He never promises to remove troubles from our lives. He never promised that. But here, he's upset with his disciples you are in trouble and why are you troubled his very own question is kind of stating something you can be in trouble and not troubled you can be in a place where things are being shaken and you are on solid ground and if you think about this I don't know about you, but sometimes I have some really good reasons why I'm kind of upset about something. And I tell God, God, this is a very valid reason. Like, this is not fair. This is not just, you're a just God. This isn't just, right? And this is the enemy getting his way. It's not, I know this is not you having your way. The enemy just did something. Like, I'm upset. But if I think about these disciples, does anyone have more justification for being upset than them? I mean, think about it. This is Sunday morning, and on Friday night, their best friend, their rabbi, their teacher, their Messiah, that they put all their hope in, they put all their eggs in that basket, 
They watched be brutally murdered and tortured right before their eyes. Well, yeah, they're troubled. They're confused. They're distraught. They have pain and they've been shaken. Well, of course, Jesus. But at some point, Jesus is saying, in a sense, asking that question, he's saying they shouldn't be troubled. I, I get confused sometimes when I read that. I, hopefully, I'm not the only one. I read scripture, and sometimes I have to do a double take. I read scripture, I, I, don't, I don't get that long. Like, they're troubled because they loved you, and it hurts to see you being tortured. So they're shaken up inside. Their emotions are stirred. What's wrong with that, God? But at some point, I don't get circumstances and emotions and reason are not supposed to dictate my life. At some point, I have to hear Jesus' words and what he says, that's what I submit to. I feel this way. I think this way. Circumstances all say this, and I say, I know that. But I choose to hear what Jesus says, and I choose to come under his word. I mean, this is what I preach almost every Sunday morning, right? Before we, pre before we sing worship songs. I will bless the Lord at all times. Yeah, but I don't feel like it right now. It doesn't matter what I feel like. I am deciding I will bless the Lord. His praise will continually come out of my mouth. I will trust the Lord with all my heart. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. My understanding is saying everything opposite of what Jesus' word says. But at some point, I'm not going to go off of my logic and reason and common sense. I mean, experience in the world says this. But at some point, Jesus' word has to have the authority. And that's why Jesus is confused. Guys, I told you. I told you over and over again. And why are you letting circumstances dictate your life being troubled and stirred up and shaken and upset? You know, random little, maybe a tangent here for a second. I have some young boys, and so growing up over the last couple of years, I've seen pretty much every Marvel movie there is and all the superhero TV shows. And all I'm very familiar with all those things. I can't even pinpoint one, but I just know in a lot of them, this is kind of what happens at some point in the movie. The main bad guy, the crime lord, the evil villain, whoever he is, the bad guy, at some point, something happens where the good guys, like, corner him, and, and justice is being served. He's trapped. He's, he's put in handcuffs. He's, he's going away to jail or something. But something happens where this crime lord, he's not shaken at all. He's got this sinister smile on his face. He's like, I know this isn't the end. I've got some friends in high places that I'm not going to stay in jail forever. I've got a plan. This is all going to, you're going to all eat the wrath of my evil, right? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You've seen a movie that way? Yeah. And I'm saying on the flip side, not being evil, not being sinister, not being arrogant, but with confidence that you and I, we cannot be shaken when the enemy seems to have the upper hand. When the enemy seems to have taken everything away from us, we can still have this confidence and this smile on our face. <laughs> but I got friends in high places. And this isn't the end. There's something about it. Not being shaken. Jesus looks at his church, and I think still today, he questions, why are you shaken? Why are you troubled? Why are you full of fear? In fact, that's the statement, right? Jesus comes, why are you shaken? 
Why are you troubled? Why are you afraid? What's the command repeated more than any other time in the, in the Bible? Do not fear. Don't be afraid. It's repeated more, by far more than any other command. Don't be afraid. And I, I love this. If you read all the Gospels, it's kind of fun that at some point it says that they were in an upper room behind locked doors in fear of the Jews. They were afraid what just happened to Jesus was going to happen to them. And so they were hiding from the religious leaders. And it says while they were in fear, while they were hiding, it says that Jesus all of a sudden appeared in the room. And he says, hey, don't be afraid. At some point, I don't know how that makes sense. You just came through, you just walked through a wall, Jesus. Yeah, we're afraid. I, I mean, that's kind of comical, but then maybe not so comical. Some of us have experienced that in life where we're kind of anxious and nervous, we're worried about something, and someone comes up and says, ah, don't worry about it. That doesn't help. Just to tell me don't worry about it does nothing for me other than just agitate me more against you. <laughs> Shut your mouth, right? <laughs> but Jesus has the authority to say this. And at some point, does Jesus have the authority to correct you? As I was preparing this message, I was thinking about how this is kind of as a correction. And I was thinking about how um, my mom, who taught kindergarten for 30 plus years, and I, I still hear stories. I go onto the Village Christian campus, and there's kids that still go to that school that had her when she was a kindergarten teacher. And, and I hear how they love my mom. She was the nicest teacher. Oh, she was so nice. She loved on us, and she gave us candy, and she was just so nice, and she's this nicest teacher. Except for me, I went into that classroom multiple times. And can I tell you, that nicest teacher... This is, I'm just, I, word for word, same inflections. This is what I heard in that classroom coming out of my mom's mouth. Excuse me. No, thank you. Very sad. You need to cry. Go sit in the corner. <laughs> Those are words that can't, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but she would grab little four-year-olds' faces on the cheeks and she would shake them. Listen to me. The most loving and kind teacher. In a sense, that's kind of what I feel like Jesus is doing on Easter morning. He is the kindest, gracious. It says that his kindness leads us towards repentance. I mean, he, he loved the little children, right? He was so good with people. He loved people well. And yet when it came to his disciples, he had this repertory. He had years of loving on them. And so he had this stock that, you know what? He knew that they were confident in his love towards him. And in that confidence of that love relationship, he was able to bring, excuse me, very sad, right? <laughs> You're troubled? What's wrong with you? Smack, smack, right? And I'm saying this kind of half-jokingly this morning, but I hope the Holy Spirit is going to speak to us today in a corrective tone. Some of us, we have troubles in our lives. This is nothing new. But what God is saying this morning on an Easter nice message is it's not okay to be troubled. It's not okay to have anxiety in your heart, to not have the peace of God ruling and reigning in your heart and mind, to have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding being full effect in your life. Spoiler alert. 
At some point, I'm going to invite some of you that maybe would like the peace of God to actually receive the peace of God. I'll let you more, know more of the details on that in just a second. Hmm. So this is Luke. This is what he said. Just really quick. Oh, actually, you know what? I'll, I'll switch before I go to Mark. So I read to you New King James really quick. The Passion Translation, that same verse, 36 through 38, this is kind of 37. It says this in the Passion Translation. Jesus suddenly manifested right in front of their eyes. Standing there among them, he said, be at peace. I am the living God. Don't be afraid. I've always read this, because you can read it in John's gospel. You can read the different gospels. I've always read that when Jesus showed up to the disciples, he was like, he came and he brought peace. They were full of anxiety, and he came to the room, and he just gave them peace. That's my five-year-old version of reading that all my life. Reading it again as a little bit more mature follower of Jesus, I realize he's saying this, be at peace. I'm the living God. Don't be afraid. It's a command. Jesus is coming to his disciples and he's commanding and telling them, be at peace. Just as he stood on that boat with the waves and the wind and the rain all being chaos, and he stood up and he said, peace, be still. It was a command. It wasn't a suggestion. He wasn't suggesting to his disciples on Easter morning, hey, it'd be nice if you guys just calm down for a second. Like the waters, he was saying, peace, be still. He was speaking to their spirits. He was commanding them, be at peace. And I love that. Be at peace, don't be afraid. And what did he say in the middle? I am the living God. Hmm. Can I say it in a kind of a harsh way this morning? If you aren't fully at peace, it's not God's fault. There's something that needs to shift in your theology. Because if you truly know him as the living God, you will be at peace and you won't be afraid. He gave two commands, but the, the answer was in the middle. Be at peace, don't be afraid. I'm the living God. If you truly know me as the living God, I don't have to command you to be at peace and to not be afraid. You already have the peace of God. I love that Jesus, at least in my life, sometimes I don't always like it, but in the end result, I love that Jesus can be like my mom and grab my face sometimes. Snap out of it. I look at my life, there's times where I am moved, I am anxious, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm stirred up, and I'm like, ah, oh, what if, what if, what if? And I need a Jesus to come into my life and say, Ryan, what is wrong with you? Am I not the living God? Am I not the Jesus that rose from the dead and defeated sin, death, and the grave? Why are you doubting my power? Why are you doubting my goodness? And really, I'll say that's the two things that's on us, why we don't have peace. If you're not full of peace, it's because one of two things. You doubt in the power of God and his ability to actually do miracles, or you doubt in his goodness. It's actually the number one question Christians or non-Christians have against God. If God is all-powerful and he is love, then why are these bad things happening to me? 
But I'll tell you right now, if you really know God as the all-powerful living God, and you trust that he is all-powerful and that he is all-loving and, and is good, I promise you, if you know him in both aspects, you would never ask, why are these bad things happening to me? Am I saying you're a horrible person for asking why are bad things happening? I bet everyone in this room would raise their hand. We've all, at some point, we've all asked God, God, why? But this morning, he's saying, I'm not giving you an allowance to keep asking those questions. I love that the, the roles were reversed. And I'm praying this morning, on this Easter morning, that we leave here, stop asking God why, and we start allowing God to ask us why. The very first thing that happened on Easter Sunday morning for these disciples was Jesus asked them why. They didn't get that. Jesus, why did you let that happen? Jesus, why did you do that? Why, 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 why? They didn't ask Jesus why questions. Jesus got to ask them why questions. I wonder what that would look like if we left this room having not questioned, questioned his authority or his goodness, but allowing him to ask us the why questions. When we go through something difficult, are we willing to say, Jesus, ask me. Ask me the hard questions. So that's Luke, nice, uplifting, encouraging resurrection Sunday message. Don't worry, Mark makes it sound much better. Mark 16, 14 says, Later he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He didn't rebuke them just for not listening to his own words. He rebuked them for not believing the testimony of others. Some of us, and I'm pointing the finger here, need to be rebuked sometimes when I hear the testimony of what God has done in someone else's life. And somehow I say, well, it's great for them, but it never happens in my life. Right? Like, I never win the lotto. Like, everything always bad happens to me, right? I said it just the other day. We went to, I took the kids on spring break. We went to Magic Mountain, and there was all these lines to even get in the park, to, like, get your car even in the park. And, all these, and I, as we were there for, like, 10 minutes waiting in line, I said it. I always pick the wrong line, <laughs> right? All the other lines are moving, and my line is going nowhere, right? There's something about it. We just kind of, we think that way. We see things from that perspective, like, yeah, things happen good to them, but not to me. And at some point, Jesus needs to rebuke us. When you hear the testimony of God doing something good in someone else's life, we've got to be a place to say, you know what? If he did it for them, he can do it for me. If he did it back then, he can do it again. If Jesus resurrected 2,000 years ago, he can resur bring resurrection life into my own life. I've got to actually believe not just what Jesus says to me, but what Jesus is saying to other people, the testimony of others. Jesus rebuked his disciples for not believing the testimony of others. Hmm. I don't know about you, but I... I'm kind of half there. Yes, Lord, rebuke me and correct me. And then I'm like, oh, but I don't always like it, right? Hmm. One more encouraging, uplifting, fun thought. If you've grown up in the church, maybe like me, you've heard this before. You've heard some wise old saint warn you, don't ever pray for patience. <laughs> right? And why you're, the ones that are laughing know why, right? Because if you pray for patience, what is God going to give you? Testing. Testing. Opportunities to be patient. 
to be put in long lines where everyone else gets to go in front of you. But God, give me patience. Okay, I'll give you an opportunity to try it out. Let me tell you this. Some of us, we don't equate the same thing to this, but we ask for God's peace. Oh, God, just give me peace. <laughs> Do you know what you're asking for? You're asking to go through troubles and to actually not be troubled. <laughs> All right, so we really quick looked at Mark. We we're looking at Luke. Let's look at John. John chapter 20, if you want to kind of flip around there, I have the verses up here too. John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you a question that you probably know the answer. Don't say the answer yet, but I know many of you already know the answer. Does Jesus command us to be at peace or does Jesus give us his peace? Yes. yes. In John's gospel, he's saying that Jesus gave them peace. In the other gospels, Jesus is saying, be at peace. Well, which one is it? <laughs> yes. I'd like to submit to you, you can't be at peace unless you first received his peace. He is the Prince of Peace. You will never have peace in your life if you haven't received Jesus into your life. You can have moments of clarity, moments of satisfaction, moments of life going well with you, but your life will never as a whole be at peace unless Jesus is in your life. His command to be at peace is only a command because he's given you the availability of his peace. He's not commanding you to do something that you can't do. That would be a horrible command. He's a good father. He's commanding you, be at peace because I am peace and I live inside of you. It's this, this partnership, this co-laboring with Christ. That when I lack peace, it's not God's fault. He is the God of peace. But I have to receive his peace and then now work it out. I have to choose to trust him. And say, your peace is mine, God. I will be at peace. If you're waiting to just passively receive peace every single time in your life, can I tell you you're going to miss it? Peace doesn't always come passively. Peace comes aggressively. It actually says, this is a little finger side note. It says to take captive every thought that enters your mind. That's not a passive thing that just whatever comes to my mind, yeah. It's when an, a thought that brings anxiety, I don't just passively let that thought stay there. I actively war with it and say, no, I'm taking you into captivity, into the obedience of Jesus Christ. You will be captive to who Jesus is. He is my Prince of Peace, and he's ruling over my thought life. I have the mind of Christ. I don't have to think this thought. I can think about whatever's true and lovely, and pure, and noble, and right, of good report. I can dwell on these things. Hmm. So Jesus says this, peace I give to you. As a father sent me, so I send you, right? And then he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you keep reading the story, I won't do it, but in the next couple of verses, you'll see 
that one of the disciples wasn't there. We call him Doubting Thomas. I've always believed that Jesus was, uh, that, Ju- oh, good golly. that Thomas was given the name Doubting Thomas because he didn't see Jesus with his own eyes. In fact, other verses say that, right? Blessed are those, Thomas, who believe without seeing. You believe because you saw me. So we kind of connect those two ideas. But as I read this, I realized Thomas wasn't there when Jesus said, receive my Holy Spirit, and he breathed upon them. Thomas didn't receive the Holy Spirit like the rest of the disciples. He was still troubled. He still didn't have peace. He still didn't have this confidence in who Jesus said he was. Was Thomas still a disciple and follower of Jesus? I wonder how many of us on this Resurrection Sunday would label ourselves followers of Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I'm not a doubting Thomas. I believe in Jesus. But I wonder how many of us have actually received the Holy Spirit. And I get that. I don't want to get too caught up on that and make you feel weird things. But let me read this. 1 Corinthians 2.12. I don't have a verse, but just really quick. 1 Corinthians 2.12 says this. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. As Christians, we can receive the Holy Spirit so that we can know the things that have been given to us. Some of us might have our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but the Spirit of God is not ruling and reigning in our lives, and because of that, we don't know the things that have been given to us. We are not walking in fullness of joy, in fullness of peace. We're not walking fully alive in Christ Even though our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, we're like that Thomas. We just haven't received. You can't know the things without the Spirit of God. That says that in um, 1 Corinthians 2.12, two verses later, it says this. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. There are times where I don't understand what God is doing. And I have to realize, in my natural mind, I never will understand that. But if I can spiritually discern things, ah, oh, I can know the mind of Christ. I can actually know that word know, again, one of my favorite words in the Hebrew, yada, right? Yada is experiential knowledge, not information knowledge, right? I love hearing the testimony of different people. Uh, I think it's Pastor John Brevere. One of the things that converted him to Christianity, he thought he was a, a believing Catholic, that he had a relationship with God. And it was someone, when he was in college, said, well, you know what, John? I can say that I know the president because I've read all about him. I've read tons of biographies about him. I, I, know all, I have all kinds of information about the president. I know him. I know what his likes are. I know what kind, the name of his dog. I mean, I know the president. But I don't know the president like I know my mom. And he called John Brevere out. He said, you know God like I know the president. But I know God like you know your mom. There's this experiential knowledge. It's actually spiritually discerning things. It's not just agreeing. I think many people agree, oh, yeah, Jesus was a good guy. Oh, that's, that's a cool story. Jesus died on the cross. Like, I, I remember hearing that story. That, that's a good story. And intellectually, they have the information of the gospel. But at some point, they need experiential knowledge. This is what Thomas, he intellectually believed Jesus was the Messiah. He needed an encounter He needed the experience of the Spirit of God coming into his life. 
And that's what I am praying and believing this Easter Sunday morning, is that all of us have the availability in front of us to actually have an encounter experience with the Spirit of God. This is Resurrection Sunday. This is the day of salvation. This right now is a time of his favor. But we have to receive it. The command is be at peace, but you will never be at peace. That's a horrible command unless you first receive his spirit. So let me finish John. This is John chapter 20, verse 21. Those are the first words out of Jesus' mouth on Easter. This now, let's look at John chapter 20, verse 31. And if you're looking at your Bibles, you'll see that there is a chapter 22 in John's gospel. A lot of scholars will believe that this was kind of added later. It's a whole other story. But for all intents and purposes, this is, I'm going to read verse 31. This is the last verse of the four gospels of the, of the Bible. And this is what it says in verse 31. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The entire purpose and reason the Bible was written, the whole purpose of the gospel is that you might believe in Jesus Christ and that you might have life. I love that, the very last phrase. You may have life in his name. You can have life. Not just your name's written in the Lamb's book of life, not just eternal life one day. Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here and now. That we are to pray, whatever's going on in heaven is supposed to happen here on earth. So he, oh man, I'm getting ahead of myself. I just, the whole purpose and reason for Easter is Jesus to give us life. He died that we might live. The whole reason this book was written was to give you life. The whole reason you were created before the foundations of the earth, he says he knew you. And then again, he formed you in your mother's womb. The whole reason you exist is that you might have life. Not to breathe oxygen and have your heart beat, but actually live alive, fully alive. In John chapter 10, Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. No one can get to the Father. No one can actually be fully alive unless they believe in me. Huh. What's the, I didn't forget. I didn't look it up. It just came to my mind right now. It's a famous person. I think it's, is it Mark Twain? All men die, but not all men truly live. All of us have a pulse this morning. All of us are alive according to biological standards. But are you fully alive this morning? Are you living your best life? Are you full of the peace of God that surpasses all understanding? I love God's word. It says the kingdom of God is righteousness. You only get that through Jesus' blood, right? The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. Some of you, you have Jesus forgiving you of your sins, and you are righteous, and you're going to heaven one day. That's great. I am so happy for you. But I, don't, I want to give you the full gospel. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. If you don't have full peace in your life, you're missing out on a third of the kingdom. And Jesus on this resurrection Sunday is saying, I'm coming to give you life and that you might have it to the full. Jesus says this in John chapter 11. He says, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose in coming is to give you life and that you might have it abundantly. A rich and satisfying life, as the Living Bible says. 
Jesus came to give you a rich and satisfying life. Not just eternal life one day, but abundant life here and now. Hmm. I love that I don't have to get super worked up. I, I, am, I get worked up, right? I, I hit it with a, a lot of enthusiasm. I'm just excited about God's word. But I don't want to make this an overly spiritual, emotional moment. I love how it happened last Sunday in the middle of me preaching. I just said, oh, on, on Palm Sunday, Jesus healed people that were lame and couldn't walk. And I said, hey, I heard some people who had pain in their feet. If anyone has pain in their feet, just come forward. We're just going to pray over you. It was kind of just like, matter of the fact, just we did it. And can I tell you, I don't know if we said it on Wednesday, we gave testimony. But I'll give you testimony. My son, his aunt, who was a nurse, again, it was not x-rayed, but his toe was broken. It was crooked. He had a big gash and it was completely sideways. We prayed over him on Sunday mor- last Sunday morning. He said the pain was gone and his, his toe was completely straight. You could say it was coincident. You could label whatever you want, but we just said a simple prayer and he just came up. Yeah, I'd like for my foot not to have pain and the pain left. And he was just one of many that came to me afterwards and said, pastor, that pain left my foot. It's like, praise God. It was just a simple prayer. I am believing that something can happen again today. That some of you, you don't have the peace of God ruling and reigning in your heart and mind. You have a measure of peace, but you don't have the fullness of it. Can I bring you back to John's gospel, John chapter 21, where he came to his disciples. These were followers of Jesus, but something happened on Easter Sunday morning. When he breathed upon them, a whole new level of their relationship with God took place. They'd been following Jesus for years. And in one moment, Jesus breathed upon them and there was a whole new level to their relationship with God. A simple breath on them and their lives changed. I am believing that maybe some of you in this room, maybe you will come to get, ask Jesus as your Lord and Savior the very first time. Ah, hallelujah, I'm gonna give you that opportunity. But I'm believing The core of this morning's message is for those of us who've been following Jesus for years. And today, he wants to give you life. A rich and satisfying life. Peace that surpasses, joy that cannot be contained. So as I'm wrapping up this message, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Actually, allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Is there a problem or a trial? Is there a difficulty? In fact, let me read really quick from Romans chapter 8. Romans 8.32 says this. For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. This is Easter, right? And since God freely offered him up as the sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. Can you let that sink in for a second? Are you understanding the statement? If God the Father was willing to crucify his son for you, do you think there's anything else good that he would withhold from you? See, this is coming back and questioning the goodness of God. Maybe you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, but you doubt the goodness of God. Romans 8.32 says, If God the Father sacrificed and allowed himself to be separated from his son just to gain your salvation, do you think there's anything he would ever withhold from you? God's word says it in the Psalms. 
we lack no good thing. For those who love God, we lack no good thing. But some of us in this room, if you're honest with yourself and you're allowing the Holy Spirit to search your heart, there's some things that are lacking. The joy of the Lord is not actually giving you strength. The peace of God is not ruling and reigning. And he's saying today, you can lack no good thing. The same God that crucified his son for your salvation, he's willing to give you every other good thing. That's Romans 8.35 and then verse 37. It says that, well, that was 8.32. In 35 it says, troubles, pressures, and problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. Troubles, problems, pressures, are unable to come between us and heaven's love. Is there a trouble in your life? Is there a difficulty? Is there a problem that is hindering the goodness of God in your life? God is so good this morning that his kindness is leading us towards repentance, but also his Mrs. Donnelly grabbing our face and commanding us, be at peace. Don't be afraid. Let my goodness wash over you. The Message Bible says two verses later, none of these problems, none of these troubles phase us because Jesus loves us. Not one trouble in my life phases me. The peace of God never leaves my life no matter what because I am fully confident in the love of God. I am my beloved's and he is mine. I serve a living God and he's in control. So I'm just gonna offer, if you would like to make Jesus your savior and the Lord of your life, in just a second, I'm gonna invite you, yes, scary, to come all the way to the front. But with you, I'm gonna invite some other people in the room. I don't care if it's one person, because I prepared this message, I thought, God, I don't know if this is for everybody or not. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, if it's just for one person, would you preach it, Ryan? All right, if everyone else thinks it was a horrible Easter message, but one person gets what you want, God, not my will, your will be done. If you know the Holy Spirit is so good to you this morning, he's calling you out, that there's some troubles, there's some anxiety, that he's saying, I don't want you to live with those anymore. I want to give you life. And you know that you need to respond and say, yes, that's me. I need life. And I choose to be obedient to his correction from this point forward. I will receive it and then I'm gonna walk in it. So if you'd like to make Jesus your Lord and Savior or if you'd like to respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you, would you just come forward? I'm going to say a simple prayer for all of us. Just now, just come forward. Praise God.
And I feel like it's the goodness of God for me to ask one more time. Don't miss out. Don't miss out. If you're wrestling right now, be bold. Jesus was unashamed to die for you. Don't be ashamed to say, I need you, Jesus. Hmm. So I'm gonna say a simple prayer and you don't have to repeat out loud, just in your hearts, repeat the same prayer. And if you're in the seats and if you're online, just join me. Jesus, on this Easter Resurrection Sunday, I recognize that I need you. I need your life. I need the assurance of my salvation. I need to know, Holy Spirit, that you are the seal of my salvation. So I recognize that you are the Son of God that became a Son of Man and that I want to be a child of God. So I put my faith and my hope in you, Jesus. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that because of that, I am forgiven. Right now in this moment, as I confess and I give you my sins, I receive your forgiveness. But Jesus, I don't stop at just your forgiveness. I receive the fullness of life. You came that I might have life to the full. And I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you are the author of all life that just as you created Adam and Eve, it says that you formed them, that you took the dust of the earth and you created them in their image. But they didn't become a living being until you breathed the breath of life into them. God, I don't wanna be a biological living being. I wanna be a supernaturally infused, spirit-filled child of God with the very breath of God in my lungs, that it's your breath that gives me life, Jesus. So would you, just as you did 2,000 years ago, as you breathe on your disciples, would you breathe on me this Easter Sunday morning? Breathe your spirit into my own spirit. Fill me with your peace. Fill me with your joy. Fill me with the abundant life that only you give. I give you my life. Would you give me your life, Jesus? Would there be a beautiful exchange this morning? I give you my life, Jesus. I receive your life. So we breathe it in. We breathe in your life, Jesus. You are our resurrected King and you are resurrecting us. We are alive because you live. Because you live, I can face tomorrow. Because you live, all fear is gone. Because you live, because you live, I am alive. I am alive in Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live for the glory of God. That no trouble will make me troubled. We give you praise, Jesus. In your mighty name we pray.
Amen. Would you just stay here as we sing this last worship song? You guys can stay here. The rest of you, would you stand? We're going to sing one last worship.